Insects, of course, were the very first creatures ever to fly. They were, really? Yes, over 400 million years ago, early forms of, of, of creatures that resembled dragonflies, essentially. They were the first to before take... Before the, the dinosaurs? Long, 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 long before the dinosaurs. We're closer to the dinosaurs now than those dinosaurs were to those insects that first flew. This is before there were flowers, um, plants were just taking hold, and they were the first creatures to come out into the air to exploit this and to fly. So insects have had a very long time, nearly half a billion years, to be able to fly and perfect it. And I thought we learned all we know about flying from birds. Well, birds obviously <laughs> are the most famous flying creatures today. They're, they're Johnny-come-latelys as far as the insects are concerned. And if it wasn't for the insects that were fueling the birds and that they take flight in the first place to catch them, it probably never would have happened. I think that the birds, though, have really, really perfected it. Uh, birds are master flyers. Feathers are the most amazing structures to allow them to do this. And there's so much about their aerodynamics and millions of years of evolution that just means that they're masters of it. And that's what we're going to learn about now. Are you ready? Would you like to go on a journey with me? Of course, always. Well, strap yourself in, as they say. Come fly with me, let's fly, let's fly away. If you can use some excitement... It's fair to say we've come a long way from the Wright brothers' first flight in 1903, but the concept of human flight didn't start with them. Stories and myths of humans flying exist throughout history in many cultures, most likely inspired by birds flying overhead. As our old friend, wildlife artist and author Don Conroy says, if you want to see nature, look up. There's always a bird in the sky. Most of what we know about flying comes from studying birds, like Project Fellowfly, undertaken by Airbus, which sees a pair of aircraft flying in formation one behind the other, allowing the trailing jet to benefit from the lift generated by the preceding aircraft's vortices. It draws inspiration from the V-shaped flight pattern of migrating geese. This technique is known as wake energy retrieval or surfing the air upwash of a lead bird. And it's believed during commercial aircraft operations, air upwash enables a follower aircraft to benefit from free lift, resulting in reduced fuel consumption. To tell us more about it, we're joined from France by Jonathan Beck, project leader for Fellowfly with Airbus. Hello, Jonathan. How are you today? Hello, Derek. How are you? Where would we be without birds when it comes to flight, Jonathan? Project Fellowfly. Can you explain? So this project, uh, the project uh, Fellowfly, is an Airbus project that aims at uh, reducing the environmental footprint of our long-range aircraft by taking inspiration of what the birds uh, have been doing for several uh, thousands of years already. So if you look in the sky, I'm sure you already have seen birds uh, doing migration in, uh, in a flock. They are uh, flying close to one another for a very good reason, is because by doing so they are uh, saving quite a lot of energy. Scientists have been studying that for years already, and what they have found out is that by flying close to one another, they can save up to 10% of the energy. They have done so by uh, putting uh, heartbeat measurement uh, devices on the wild geese, as well as by measuring the, the flapping rate of the bird. So the idea here for fellow fly is to mimic that uh, for airplanes. So there are obvious differences between an airplane and a geese, but 
from an aerodynamic standpoint, the concept remains the same. A wing generates a wake vortex. Around that wake vortex, you do have a smooth updraft. If you position an aircraft in that smooth updraft, you can gain up, uh, up to 10% of fuel saving as well. So the idea of the Fellowfly project is to do just that. Uh, and there are several components to that project. First, there is a technological component, uh, how to be able to automatically position an aircraft with regard to an aircraft wake. Then there is a regulation and operational uh, concept that needs to evolve to support that kind of operation. My goodness, it sounds very ambitious. And so many questions jump into my mind. The first one is the numbers of geese that fly in V formation. Anything from 30 to 100 birds, sometimes more. So can we expect to see a squadron of aircraft flying in V formation? Passenger aircraft I'm talking about. And the next one is, as... I understand it, and Niall and Richard and maybe yourself can correct me. I thought that the lead bird takes a break and somebody else goes to the front. So are aircraft going to be switching position en route? So that's a very good question. Indeed, uh, for the birds, they are uh, flying uh, with flocks of uh, several birds. For the aircraft, we are going to be very pragmatic there because it's very complex things to achieve already. So we want to start very realistically by uh, pairing two aircraft uh, with one another. And that is already quite a challenge, both from a technical perspective, but as well from an operational perspective. If we want to uh, put several aircraft at the same point at the same time, it's going to be a very high complexity in terms of operations. So here we are going to be very realistic, starts with two. When it works with two, when it's in service for several years, then clearly we will want to extend the concept to several aircraft to have even more fuel gains. Uh, could you repeat your second question, please? The second part of my question has to do with who leads the flock. When geese are flying in V formation, the leader often drops back and is replaced by another one of the birds. And I'm just wondering if that's what's going to happen in your fellow fly V formation. There is a limit to what we copy from the birds. Uh, the strategy itself, the way they save energy, the concept, uh, aerodynamic concept remains the same. In terms of strategy, we have to adapt to the real world. We can't uh, very easily swap position. Uh, first, the aircraft will be further separated from one another uh, due to safety concern. So the, for safety reasons, sorry. Uh, so the, the position of the aircraft will be much further away from the leader aircraft. Typical separation between the two aircraft will be around uh, three, three kilometers. So considering that uh, formation geometry, making a swap will not be as easy as it is for birds. So we are not intending to swap position during the, the formation flight due to the geometry of the formation itself. Now, how close are you talking about exactly? Because commercial aircraft, I think, have to keep a separation of 1,000 feet vertically. I don't know what it is horizontally. Presume it's something similar, but a minimum of 1,000 feet, as I understand it. So the, the vertical separation, as you mentioned, is minimum 1,000 feet in today operation when they are within a lateral separation of, uh, of a circle of five nautical miles. This is the typical separation that we have uh, over domestic routes. Uh, in this concept, we want to be obviously at the same altitude. This is where you do save the energy. This is where you can take benefit from the leader aircraft wake. And we want to be at uh, around three kilometers in terms of longitudinal separation, the follower aircraft will be trailing the leader aircraft by about three kilometers. 
This is the position that we uh, flight tested already in uh, 2020 and 2021. And this is the optimum position that we found both in terms of fuel saving, but as well in terms of passenger comfort. But not everybody's going to be travelling from, let's say, Dublin International Airport to Leeds, Bradford. So I'm wondering how many people do you expect and hope to transport in one direction at any one time? So if you look already at the existing traffic, and this is precisely what we have done to build up the concept of operation, we looked at the traffic of 2019. The entire year, we analyzed the flight tracks of each uh, aircraft in this year. And what we have found is that even though aircraft are not departing from the same airport and and do not go to the same airport, when you are considering intercontinental flight, the routes are very similar. Um, for example, there are a lot of uh, aircraft departing end of the morning from uh, Europe going to the east coast of the US. They do not have the same departure airport, they do not have the same uh, destination, but they share 90% of their cruise phase. And this is where the fellow fly concept applies, only to the cruise operation, which is quite organized already. And in terms of number of, uh, of pairs that we have identified naturally occurring in 2019, that was about uh, 100,000 over the Atlantic in 2019. So without changing anything to the 2019 operation, we could have paired 100,000 aircraft. Not 100,000 in a flock, just pairs of aircraft. Indeed, yes. Well, in, in our analysis, those would be pairs of aircraft. We focus for now only on pairs of aircraft, one leader, one follower. Nile Hatch. This really is interesting stuff, Jonathan. It could be revolutionary. Anything that we can do to try and and save emissions, save energy and make uh, air air transport uh, more um, efficient and less uh, environmentally damaging is uh, is really important. I'm curious, would this require cooperation between different airlines? Is the idea that airlines would partner up? Would planes then, let's let's say, swap partners mid-destination and go behind another plane? How is it envisaged that would work? And would it require differences in the way that flights are scheduled? Because sometimes there's delays in departure sometimes flights are cancelled what Mm -hmm. happens if your partner doesn't take off but you still make the journey that is again a very good question Um, the concept that we are pushing based on our study of 2019 flights is an opportunistic concept we know that uh, flight departure is not always kept uh, right on time and even if you are considering a five minute delay in departure that's already make a pair uh, non-viable in terms of emission because of the of the speed change that you would need to achieve to make a pair So what we are pushing is an opportunistic concept of operation that will identify a pair after they have departed, after both aircraft are departed. Basically, there will be a service that looks up in the the sky, says those two aircraft are flying close together already, they have a similar destination, let's pair them. That uh, can be done inside the same airline, provided that the airline fleet is uh, sufficiently large, or can be done with several airlines participating in the concept. And that collaboration between airlines could uh, more than double the number of opportunities that you can achieve. So it's very important for airlines to start collaborating on that topic as well. I know that when geese are migrating in the famous V formation, that those vortices that aid the the trailing birds, they come off the wingtips of the lead bird and so on, back through the line. How does it work with aircraft? Is the vortex coming off the wingtip or is it from the body of the plane itself? So yes, it is the exact same aerodynamical concept between uh, aircraft and birds. The wake vortex departs from the wingtip, 
And what you do see uh, when you are looking in the in the sky, the white uh, cone trails uh, are actually the materialization of the of the, of those wake vortices. They seem not to depart from the wingtip, but that's just because the source of the ice crystal comes from the engine. But then the wake vortex itself comes from the wingtip. And I'm curious, does it make a big difference between different aircraft models? Do some types of aircraft um, produce uh, vortices that are easier for others to fall into the slipstream of? Or um, does it make a big difference? The vortex characteristic itself is not that different between uh, between each aircraft. Uh, clearly, the weight of the aircraft changes the strength of the vortex, but that's basically the difference that we have in terms of aerodynamics of the vortex itself. There is, however, a very important point to, to think about is that when we want to pair aircraft together, a very basic need is that they fly at the same speed. So the speed each aircraft has in cruise clearly determines which aircraft can be paired with, uh, with another. Is that the same for birds now? Will they all fly at the same speed? Well, when using those V formations, yes, they do. You can see that they maintain that general shape very, very well, even when flying at, 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 quite, a, at quite a high speed for a bird. Mm. Obviously, planes are going a lot faster than that. Um, but yeah, for, from, from that point of view, yes, they have to move at the same speed in order for it to be efficient. Otherwise, the, if a bird behind is going faster, it would go out of the vortex yeah. um, and then we would have no advantage anymore. Jonathan, I'm just wondering where you're going to recruit your pilots. Are you going to go to the military? <laughs> That's a good point. Military pilots are obviously well aware of uh, of that kind of concept. They have been flying in formation for years already. They do not have the same intent when they fly in formation. For military, the main goal is to maintain a very small footprint in the in the air. Uh, but they are already used to having a, a close aircraft to them, uh, another aircraft close to them. Um, here we will rely much more on the aircraft system itself to do all of the of the automation. Uh, we want to have uh, uh, as uh, le- as little impacting as possible concept of operation for the for the flight crew. Basically, uh, anything that uh, relates to maintaining a position with regard to a wake vortex will be fully automated. And what about turbulence and stormy weather and things like that? Then again, the system that we have developed so far uh, is able to automatically detect whether the environmental conditions are suitable or not to maintain the, the vortex tracking. In the system that we have developed, the, there is an anticipation means built in that decides whether or not to stay on the vortex depending on the, on the weather condition. Any strong wind gradient would be automatically avoided by the follower aircraft. Because I've often been on aircraft, particularly coming transatlantic, that have hit air pockets, I think they're called, and it just feels like it's dropped several thousand feet. And I wonder how that affects your V formation. But then again, this is automatically handled by the, by the system. When we demonstrated that technology in 2021, in November 2021, uh, we made a demonstration by uh, actually doing two long-haul flights between Toulouse and Montreal and back from uh, Montreal to Toulouse. In that uh, flight trial, we were in the real weather condition. Usually when we do flight tests, we tend to to select the weather condition. That day, we couldn't select the weather condition because we were in the middle of the traffic. And when we entered the jet stream, we had uh, turbulences and so on. And at that time, we could uh, evaluate the robustness of of, uh, our system and we were very pleased with the results. Jonathan, that's a fascinating proposal, I must say. Now, you saved about 5% in fuel on that famous trip to Montreal and back from Toulouse. 5% each way or 5% overall, or does it matter? 
so the, that five percent is a mean of uh, so it is what we have achieved in those uh, uh, transatlantic flight trials uh, for the leader for the follower aircraft only uh, on both uh, flights. So both uh, Toulouse to Montreal and Montreal to Toulouse, we saved about five percent of the trip fuel. Well, now, if you look at geese, uh, they, if you measure them in terms of goose length, uh, the geese are flying three or four goose lengths behind the vortex. In your case, you are putting the following aircraft back three and a half kilometers away. Now, the vortex must have declined in power or dissipated by the time this plane arrives. Is the three and a half kilometer thing a, a kind of a trade-off? Would you love to be right up with the front plane? Or are you going back as far as you consider it safe, necessarily safe to go? So the decay of the vortex is a time uh, parameter. Uh, as you know, uh, aircraft are flying much faster than, uh, than geese. Uh, when we are flying at Mach 0.85, time separation at a given point between the leader and the follower to overfly the same point is about 7 to 10 seconds. In those 10 seconds, the vortex has no time to decay at all. Actually, we have made specific measurements uh, to try to assess the impact of uh, longitudinal distance of the, on the wake strands. And what we have found in flight test is that uh, between 0.5 nautical miles, which is about uh, one kilometer up to uh, three nautical miles, which is about six kilometers, there is no change in strength of the vortex. The vortex decay happens further down the line uh, because it is time-based. Uh, it's based on time. Is there an advantage in having a very large plane up front? An A380, for instance, would produce a much greater vortex uh, than a smaller plane would. So is this dictating a big lead plane followed by progressively smaller planes in the train back along? So as uh, we explained earlier already, the main characteristic for a pair to be viable is that they fly at the same speed. So the A380 is, uh, is flying at the same speed as the A350. So that could very well be a, a very good candidate for the leader aircraft. And you are perfectly right. We tend to put the heavier aircraft in front in order to generate a stronger weight, which in the end generates the, strong, the higher benefits. But then we have to consider the number of aircraft that are going to, uh, to participate to the operation. And the, the more, uh, the larger the fleet is, uh, the higher, highest the chances that you can find uh, a pair. So with that regard, A380 will be very localized on specific routes. Uh, A350, uh, however, is more uh, distributed around the world, making it a better candidate in terms of probability to find a matching pair. But you are very right in terms of uh, pure instantaneous benefits. Having an A380 as a leader would be uh, indeed uh, uh, a very good thing. And of course, the saving will have to be distributed between the two airlines. If there are two airlines, if the fellow in front is expending all the energy, the following aircraft is benefiting. So therefore, we must redress the balance economically and the fellow in front must pay some of the way of the fellow behind. And if you have uh, several planes all along, will there be a 5% improvement at each stage back along so that a plane that's five back will be much more fuel efficient? than the ones up front. Is there going to be an economic adjustment needed in this? So when we are considering more than two aircraft, the third or fourth aircraft are saving 
the same amount of energy because it is still flying, uh, surfing a single vortex from the aircraft in front. So that means that leader aircraft saves nothing, follower aircraft each save about 5% of their trip fuel. So indeed, this will have to be accounted for in value sharing operations. But in the end, it is up to the operators to decide how they want to split the benefits between them. Are you optimistic? Will this happen, do you think, on a grand scale? So I am very optimistic that this will happen. Uh, first, because we already showed that it is technically feasible, and I am convinced that the, the benefits that we can have in, with such a kind of operation will be very valuable in the future of aviation in terms of emissions. Well, it's a very interesting future that lies ahead of us for air travel. And I'm looking forward to flying in V formation myself. I've seen the geese do it many times, as have you, Niall Hatch. And I bet you've sat on the ground and looked up and thought, I'd love to be able to do that. Oh, yes. And I think I think for, for, for centuries, people wondered, why do they fly in these V shapes? Why are they doing it? And now we know. And it really is amazing. And also how what we see happening in nature can really benefit us in terms of technology and human advancement. It's brilliant. Jonathan, thank you very much indeed. You're very welcome.